Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. tuned in to Daybreak Devotions Friday Fun Day edition here on this May 26th, 2023. Welcome, welcome one and all. Good to be here if I'm part of the one and all that's welcome. <laughs> yeah, you are. Besides, we need somebody over there working the controls. You got that right. But we are glad to have you. We're glad to have the listeners and we're looking forward to this exciting time of Friday Fun Day and Kicking off a weekend, we like to finish our week with a with a rousing bang of fun things and informative news, and and so uh, let's get started with all of that. All right, you've been waiting all week for this, everybody. So we've got some news of the weird. And some not-so-news of the weird, just some exciting information to pass along because it's early in the morning, and we want to give you a chance to make the most of this day. So before I get to the news of the weird, well, how do I want to do this? Now, let me go ahead and get the news of the weird out of the way. Because we've already queued up the news of the weird opener now. So. Well, this all will just go with it. Oh, yeah, okay. it, It'll all work. Okay, I've got my first news story, and I just want to say that this one is, uh, I don't know if it's weird or not, but... Oscar Mayer announced on May 17th that it's changing the name of its iconic Wienermobile to the Frankmobile. CNN reported, broke the news, breaking news by the way. The company says that the name change pays homage to its new recipe for hot dogs, which will roll out this summer. Well, I suppose that's a good thing. So it depends on, by changing up the recipe, what that entails before we really celebrate that. Well, I'm going to give you the rest. Okay. On Wednesday of last week... Oscar Mayer announced that it will be changing the fabled Wienermobile. It'll be now it'll now be called the Frankmobile to reflect the company's new 100% beef franks. So they're they're doing away with the pork and the lips and the chicken feet and all that other stuff. And so now it'll be 100% cow lips and oh, feet, you know, cow tongue is actually a delicacy in some countries. Well, this month, we're introducing a tasty new recipe with a more balanced flavor profile and iconic beefy taste that is more flavorful than ever. Here's some good news, though, for listeners out there. If the Frankmobile comes your way, anyone with a name that contains some iteration of Frank will be able to receive a coupon for a free pack of Oscar Mayer beef franks. That is, if they can track the Frankmobile down in person. Um, so the brand provides a tracker for interested fans to keep up with the fleet of vehicles as they drive around the U.S. I guess you got to get an app. Or just go to the website. Okay, well, that's when you got nothing else going on. We've seen the Wienermobile before. Too bad your name's not Frank. All right. Drivers, formerly known as hot doggers, are now Frankfurters. And <laughs> 
That's great. And instead of passing out wiener whistles, they'll be giving out Frank whistles to the public. The wiener mobile is no more. It's an icon. Well, so is so is the old song from 1965. Class attention. Forward march. Oh, wiener, that is what I truly like to be. Cause if I were an Oscar Mayer wiener, everyone would be in love with me. I'm just really confused about the nature of this news article because Oscar Mayer already has 100% beef wieners. Hey, look, I don't write the news. I don't even care if it's real or fake news. It's weird news, and that's all that matters. Well, it is weird, because why is this story news? It's like, <laughs> hey, we just want to make a public press declaration to let everybody know that we've, we're going to do something that we've already done, but we're going to do it officially. It's a, it's a kinder, gentler, cleaner world we're living in. Whatever. Anyway, all right, just one more uh, news of the weird story for this Friday fun day. This one will be good for all the little kitties out there. Ooh, you like a good animal story? It's not about Oscar Mayer, but it is about beef. Steer on the run for weeks lassoed, captured on Detroit area freeway. A team of Wranglers, this is out of Holly, Michigan, a team of Wranglers, including one on horseback, chased down and captured a wayward steer named Lester across several lanes of a Detroit-area freeway. Yep, you don't have to make this up. State police in-car video shows the tail end of Sunday afternoon's chase on northbound Interstate 75 in Holly, about 57 miles northwest of Detroit. A rider on horseback and and three people in two ATVs can be seen chasing Lester in and around fields and woods along the east side of the freeway. The rider on horseback catches up and lassos Lester, which then runs into the median and hops a guardrail onto the freeway's southbound shoulder before it stopped. This is a this is an official statement from the Highway Patrol in Michigan. Eventually, after much tomfoolery, the critter was captured and removed from the freeway. Troopers reopened the freeway and things quickly got back to normal. The bovine was not charged and is back in the pasture with a story to tell all the other livestock. Oh. Well, that's all the news for the weird actual news stories we have today. But I'm not done. I'm not done. You know why? Because it's early, and so this day can still be claimed for fun and festivities. And I'm going to tell you a couple of reasons why you could do it. All right? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. First of all, today, May 26th, is National Paper Airplane Day. Did you know that? No. And as soon as I'm done with my news report, I'm going to make a paper airplane out of this and give it to you. Thanks. So this, uh, this day is usually celebrated with contest in two basic flight categories, distance and time and air. So you can host your own paper airplane competition today. This practice of constructing paper airplanes is sometimes referred to as aerogami, <laughs> after, of course, origami, origami, the Japanese art of paper folding. Uh, crafting paper airplanes is said to have originated out of ancient China, but the art is said to have been perfected out of Japan, which most things are. Now, National Paper Airplane Day 
Uh, so you can go out and have that. That that's a good way to start the day. And then, whoever wins National Paper Airplane Day gets their choice between two desserts because today is National Blueberry Cheesecake Day and National Cherry Dessert Day. So you got a you got a choice. Cherry dessert seems kind of like a pretty vague category. Well, just think of all the things you can do. I mean, with cherry with ice cream. Cherry cobbler. You could have a cherry, cherry cheesecake. cheesecake. You could have a cherry cherry smoothie. Cherry yum yum. You could have cherry berry. Not anymore. She's oh. retired. <laughs> you know, cherry berry. She was the uh, North Carolina uh, labor commissioner. Oh, I think she that's was, sherry. It probably right. is. Anyway, okay. Well, now that we got that cleared up. <laughs> National Blueberry Cheesecake Day. So. Uh, this is just some in, in, interesting information. Although originating in ancient Greece, cheesecakes have today spread to the far corners of the world, and each region has its own varieties of cheesecake, and one is the very popular blueberry cheesecake. So, hey, you you, celebrate, you have a paper airplane uh, competition, then you go out and celebrate with a little cheesecake, little cherries, and one final thing, it's also today National Redhead Day. Oh. Yep, World Redhead Day is celebrated on May 26th. Now, this is interesting. If you have red hair, you are considered a part of a unique group because less than 2% of the world's population is born with naturally red hair. Red hair is more common and appears with greater frequency among those of northern European descent. So, See, so, there, sh- there should have been some kind of dessert. Like if this was going to be National Dessert Day, it should have had something to do with ginger. Well, well, I'm thinking the closest would be the cherry. So you paper airplane competition, you have a cherry dessert with your red, favorite redhead. Carrot cake, ginger ale. Well, let's get back to uh, the Bible and be things good. of God. And uh, we clo- we're closing out a week where we have been discussing what it means to treasure Christ above all else in our hearts. And the question that we've been particularly answering the last few days is, what does that look like? How do you do that? Well, let's, let's start with this text. We've shared this before, but this is Ephesians chapter 3, and it really captures the spirit of, 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 the, of what we're talking about here. So Ephesians 3, verse 14, Paul offers this prayer. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. And listen to this key part that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That is what we've been talking about. That's what we're after. And I thought it would be a, a good reading. I was working some more through this book. I mentioned it earlier in the week, Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard. Listen to this section. And he's quoting here uh, Phillips Brooks in a book entitled Best Methods of Promoting Spiritual Life. Now, why it caught my attention for this is because that is essentially what we've been talking about the last three days over these practical ways that you can treasure Christ in your heart. And by treasuring Christ in our heart, again, we're doing, like we said, how you would treasure anyone who's precious to you. You're trying to accumulate time and experiences with them. 
You're trying to spend as much time with them as you can. Your thoughts are constantly on them. You become associated with them. People think about you. They think about this other person. And so how do, how do our lives become that? Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, and how do we then treasure Christ above everything else? So the title of the book that he's referencing is Best Methods of Promoting Spiritual Life, and this is still Willard here. He says, Phillips Brooks acknowledges the role of special religious practices, activities, and experiences, but he goes on to emphasize that to limit our spirituality to these is to omit most of our normal life from spiritual living. To promote spiritual life, he says, is not to be more religious where one is already religious. And here he picks up the quote from the book. It is to be religious where he is irreligious now, to let the spiritual force which is in him play upon new activities. How shall he open, for instance, his business life to this deep power? By casting out of his business all that is essentially wicked in it, by insisting to himself on its ideal of charity or usefulness, on the loftiest conception of every relationship into which it brings him with his fellow man, and by making it not a matter of his own whim or choice, but a duty to be done faithfully because God has called him to it. God chose for him his work, and meant for him to find his spiritual education there. Now, Willard has another statement I wanted to finish out reading here, another another quote, but just think about the practicality of that, that statement. This is why it caught my attention. You know, even the last part of that, understanding, so how does this man make his business life more spiritual? God chose for him his work and meant for him to find his spiritual education there. It is about how... We bring Christ into everything that we're doing and look for Christ in everything that we're doing. That was the way we, we said it earlier. So Brooks closes the sermon with these words. The Christian finds the hand of Christ in everything, and by the faithful use of everything for Christ's sake, he takes firm hold of that hand of Christ and is drawn nearer and nearer to him. That is, I think, the best method of promoting spiritual life. And I, I mean... That it can't be said any clearer than that. Mm-hmm. It's taking the normal things of our everyday life and finding the experience with Christ in those things. It's it's making our spiritual life the normal life. Again, it comes back to that thought of stop trying to live two lives. But we, we bring it all and understand that everything is connected, and when we see it through those lenses, all of a sudden the spiritual life doesn't become easier to live, but to use the phrase that you've been using a lot, it does become much less complicated. We can understand more of what it is that we're actually trying to do. We all know, I've heard of Corey Tinboom, and her spiritual life and her faith has been an encouragement to many through the years. And this is something she said about um, working with her father in his workshop. I experienced the miracle that the highest potential of God's love and power is available to us in the trivial things of everyday life. Now, it takes a, it takes a, a godly parent to introduce a child to that reality, mm-hmm. to say while we're out here in the workshop or in the garage or working in the yard, we're going to have experience with God in this. But that's got to be true to who we are before we can pass it on to anyone else. Otherwise, it's just... Awkward religiosity. Yeah, and, and everybody tries to avoid that. Yes. Just like happens outside of the framework of whatever the organized church service time is. Mm-hmm. So if our church services last from 9.30 till 12 or whatever, during that time we all know this is church time. So we kind of do church God things, things yep. and 
But outside of that, we go back to our default. And our default tends to be things, normal things in life, things that on the one hand we would not criticize or condemn or say that's a bad thing. Take the workshop. Take the guy going to work, doing his business. Those are not bad things. God gave us work to do. But we leave God out of it. Mm-hmm. We don't find God in it because we don't set our heart on God in those things. We don't actually invite God into those things to where the, the very exercises that whatever we're carrying out during the day, we're looking for God's uh, appearance and power and his informing of what we're doing. Exactly. So as a way to wrap up this discussion, there are a few questions that you kind of put together for us that maybe listeners would have and think about and we, we won't be able to do justice to all these questions, but let's at least put them on the table and see what we can come up with. Sure. And I think for me, the the overarching one, which I think we've tried to answer, but maybe we could speak to a little bit more definitively is, what's the difference in living from the heart and simply following our emotions? Because I think so much of what we have talked about, if I was to put myself in the listener's shoes, because even in my own life, I've, I've had this question, that's an easy trap to fall into and, and just go to the default of, oh, okay, well, if we're going to live from our heart, I'm, I'm being led by feelings, but we know that there is a lot of danger in doing that, and it, that's unwise counsel as well. So how would you answer that to somebody if you were just to quantify the difference in those two statements? And like you said, I think we have mentioned this to some degree in earlier episodes this week, but you know, you'll hear people say you can't trust your heart, and I believe what is usually meant by that and how it would actually make more sense is to say you can't always trust your mind. And that would be, to my thinking, a more accurate statement because your mind is your thoughts and your feelings. And we form opinions from those. If we form our opinions or we, we make our judgments just from our thoughts and our feelings, we often do get those wrong because we read things wrong. Mm-hmm. We don't have the full information. We don't understand everything uh, behind what what somebody said or what somebody did or how or why we're feeling the way we feel, emotions are expressions of how life and people and stuff is affecting us and how we are interpreting and reacting to that. And so, one of our greatest struggles and a key reason for the ongoing crumbling of society that we're seeing is that most people live their lives out of their feelings. If I feel like it, it must be good. So I do it. If I don't feel like it, it must be bad. At least for me, it's bad. And so don't ask me to do that. Now, if if I am, as we have been talking about, learning to filter those thoughts and emotions through my heart, which is that place where Christ dwells in us by faith, mm-hmm. then I can make a better read on what I'm thinking and feeling. I can make better judgments, and I can be, uh, bring better responses versus reactions. Because when we operate from our good heart, we are able to respond and not just react. That's not to say that we won't react. And we will react in thought and feeling and so forth to things that happen in the moment. But don't we don't always need to carry on in the reaction. We need to kind of we need to kind of do like they did that that steer. We need to lasso it, pull it in, run it through the heart where Christ dwells, right. and then we can respond better. Get it corralled. So you made a statement in your answer there that I think really leads in well to the next line of thinking. Not everybody lives this way. In fact, it would be, I think, safe to say a very, very, very small percentage of minority that is that is living disconnected from the emotional draw of things. So if I am progressing on this way of following my good heart and allowing the heart to lead, 
I'm going to have to understand that I'm literally walking opposite of how the vast majority of people that I'm going to encounter. And it can come across as kind of abrasive to live in that freedom of, you know, the world might say, you know, trusting your gut or going by, you know, what's the inside motivators and not being sensitive. Well, how might that impact somebody or how might that make somebody feel? So how do we how do we balance that? How do we draw that line? Because we do want to be sensitive and we do want to be mindful and take other people into consideration and not be a jerk about things. But at the same time, I think we're seeing the result of a society where everybody has operated trepidatiously because, well, I don't want to offend. I don't want to upset. I don't want to this, that, and the other. And so nothing good is getting done. So where's where's the balance of that, of me living in the freedom of my good heart while also trying to be mindful that not everybody's living this way? Well, I think that the grace that God offers to us is going to help us in that as we grow in the life of our heart, we are going to, by nature or or by default, I don't think those are the right words, but it is going to come that the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit in our life, which will include the long-suffering and the gentleness and the goodness and the meekness, which are the answer, probably the most accurate answer to the question, because these are the things we have to offer other people, and we have to offer those things to ourselves. But they can only come through that. But the good news is that as we learn to live out of our heart, those things will be produced in us. So we'll be able to respond to people better. But I think, though, that is the hardest question. Of the questions we were going to try to tackle, that one I think was the hardest one for me. And it's largely because I think some people are tough to work with because they're not soul aware. Mm-hmm. They're, not, they're just not conscious. They're not, because they're not living from the heart but doing the opposite, they can become a very draining presence. And so the, the natural reaction is to want to withdraw from them. Right. Because they're, 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 their pull on us can be pretty heavy. And I'm on the other end of the scale because I'm very much a discerner by nature. And so sometimes my problem or the problem I create with people is I can press them too hard. And you get somebody that's very much into, hey, tell me what's going on inside of you and you get somebody that's ultra, don't talk to me about what's going on inside of me, it, it's a clash. And so I, I said all that to say I recognize there is a real difficulty there. And so maybe the answer comes back to just we have to be, we have to be gracious to ourselves and, and know that God is going to produce that fruit in us. It's going to take time. We often wish, I think, for an analogy, that we could step into that uh, super soldier chamber Mm-hmm. And we can step in there like um, scrawny Steve Rogers, yeah, and come out like Captain America. But it just doesn't happen that way. And God is building us over time. And I think there will come places where separations will happen. You're just not going to be able to to walk in agreement with certain people because they're not going to come along. Right. But we, I guess, we should not be hasty in that. We should let God lead us in it. So that's. I don't feel like that's a great answer to that question. I think the best answer to that question is just to acknowledge that that's a real issue. Yeah, and and I think you said being gracious to yourself. I think, too, being patient with that and understanding that there's going to be times where you're not as sensitive as you should be, and there's going to be times where you are overly sensitive. But one of the lessons that I have been learning throughout all of these conversations the last couple of weeks and everything is, it's okay for me to be gracious and know that I'm not always going to get it right, 
so long as my heart of heart and my intention is, but Lord, I, I want to be better than I was. I want to continue growing. I want to continue to live out of my good heart, understanding I'm going to mess it up sometimes, and I'm going to look back and regret and be like, ah, I wish I would have done that differently. Okay, here's where I'm going to learn from it moving forward. And, and learning is so much of the key to everything. In fact, that brings me up to the, the, other, the next question. The yeah, third, the last one that we'll one try to do. One more. Yeah. yeah. So we've talked so much about learning to live from the heart. How do I begin the process of, first of all, discovering my heart and ultimately discovering what my true desires are? I mean, if this has been such a, a mis, misinformed, misemphasized, but yet vitally important nature of the Christian life, where do I even start on this process of even unearthing my true heart to even begin to live from it? Well, I'm going to give the answer quickly for the sake of time, but it is something that's worth an entire conversation on its own. And I would say if you want to learn how to discover your own heart, um, begin with the simple things like what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, what makes you feel most alive, because those are indicators of the heart. I don't have it in front of me, I think it's uh, maybe Frederick Beekner that says that laughter and tears both come from the same place, from deep inside of us. And we understand that to be the heart. Now, we think of emotion like happy and sad, but laughter and tears, he said, come from the heart. I believe that is a biblical truth. Mm -hmm. And so when we can analyze what are the things that make me laugh, make me cry, what are the things that make me feel most alive, so apply that to... Your spouse, you got married. Why did I get married to Athena? Because she was the one that made me feel most alive. And it was from my heart that I recognized that love. But I would apply that in terms of you know, thinking about work, uh, play, your adventures in life, your rest, every aspect of your life. Just start with those simple things. What do you enjoy the most? Because that's probably revealing where your heart is. And I would also think to process it is is to meditate on this. Meditate on those things. In other words, think about them and process that journey. I recommend journaling as a way to do that. When you can kind of write out, okay, this was a great experience for me. Here's why. And those things will begin to latch on to you so that you recognize, man, this is something that really makes me feel like I'm living. Well, there's a reason for that. And so those are important things. I want to add to that uh, sort of Part of an answer to another question that we don't have time for, but conversation with other people is important in mm -hmm. discovering your heart. So sharing our hearts with trusted people and getting the feedback and listening. People who understand this, who can speak into your life, will also help you discover where your heart lies. So in terms of what should be your work, what should be a hobby worth giving your time to, where are you most gifted, where do you bring life to the world? And those are the places and the things that will help you discover your heart in Christ. So it sounds like it can't be a complete solo endeavor, although much of it is. It well, is it's self-introspection. Um, yeah, but it's sharing that, and, and I'm glad you said that because I thought about it when you were asking the question. It, it comes back to that same problem of a society built on individualism right. has hindered us but when we understand the role of community in the body of Christ, then we start discovering things like spiritual gifts and things like 
the 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 gifts of and the attributes of our heart that we have to offer to the people around us. Yeah, as I start self discovery, I understand this is what I bring to the body. This is what I contribute, but then also what the body contributes to me. So I'm not I'm not living by myself, but I do have the responsibility to use as you said to meditate, to think and discern, but to the end result of this is how I now fit into the community, and this is how we thrive together. Well, I think that'll wrap it up for this week. So, friends, thank you so much for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed remainder of your day. We'll see you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion at gmail.com.